First Peter chapter number four. I'd like to read the first eleven verses, but uh, we'll we'll go back and we'll read those separately anyway. So let's just um, let's just read verse number one, and we'll deal with this thought this morning: identifying mature Christians. And I don't want the uh, the title to throw you as we get into the lesson. Um, it's not necessarily how we identify, but a lot of times it's how we are identified. Uh, and so that's kind of the, the, the path I'm going today. But First Peter chapter number 4, verse number 1, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Um, just to get right into the lesson today, he, uh, Peter is, is nearing the end of his first letter, his first epistle. Now keep in mind that Peter's writings is a little bit different than Paul's. Paul's is writing to churches, uh, to individual churches, Galatia, Ephesus, so on. Peter is writing to a people. He's writing to a group of people, regardless of where they are. And he is coming off, of course, of chapter number 3. If you've got a Schofield Bible, it says part 2 continued. So, um, see how Schofield, he's kind of sectioned 1 Peter out. And I want to read verse number 1 again. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Now, you don't necessarily have to turn over there, but I, I think about what the Apostle Paul said. I believe it was in, yeah, it was in Philippians chapter number 2, uh, verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so this is, um, in a way, it's so that we think like Christ. It's so that when when we enter a situation, we literally ask, like Charles Sheldon wrote, what would Jesus do? We literally stop and we contemplate, how would Jesus go into this situation? And so Peter, too, is saying that Christ has suffered for us and we ought to arm ourselves in the same mind. But then he finishes verse number one, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. And so we'll get into the lesson this morning and notice number one, how mature Christians identify with Christ's sufferings. How mature Christians identify with Christ's sufferings. We see verse number one, verse number two also, that he, he told us to, he told us to arm ourselves and he said the one that suffers in the flesh will cease to sin. Verse number two, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. So the statement at the very end of verse number one coincides and kind of couples with the whole of number two. Verse number one says that he hath ceased from sin. Now, many times you'll see this and you'll hear it taught, you'll hear it preached that when, of course, no one is sinless except for Christ. But as a believer, we ought to cease from continual sin. 
In other words, the same sin over and over and over and over again. Some of us were having a conversation about a completely different subject, but it involves sin, a particular sin. And we asked the question, how can someone continue to live in that and and be saved? And that's a question that we, we can answer somewhat by the Scripture. Uh, because this type of phrase is mentioned so often that we ought to cease from sin or um, uh, some of the other phrases escape me. But um, it's also an individual thing. I can't look at, at Kurt and say that he is right with God or not. He may live right around me. He may do right, say the right things, but I don't know his heart. Um, now, I may go somewhere else, somewhere downtown, and I may see a guy with with, uh, with a beer in one hand and uh, the smell of marijuana on him uh, on the other side. But I, I can't necessarily make a, a true judgment call about that man because I don't know his heart. And so we look at this, and he says that the one that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but he should be living to the will of God. And so, number one, how mature Christians identify with Christ's suffering. First, we see that that growth, that maturity, brings a better appreciation of Christ's suffering. As in, um, we'll turn over to Isaiah 53, but as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, he says there in verse number 1. As as a believer, every time I come across maybe an Easter message or even a Christmas message, I'll oftentimes remember Calvary. Now, people may say, no, I, I, don't, I don't do that. You know, that's in the past. And that's, that's fine if you want to, but I feel like it's my duty as a believer, as a child of God, to remember what Christ has done for me. Yesterday I was in the, in the garage and I was doing some wood carving and it was just a, a simple cross. And every time I'd, I'd start carving on that cross, it was something that was welling up inside me. You know, how, how could I make this realistic compared to Jesus crossed, cross? You know, is there something else that I could do? And I'm not skilled enough to, to do anything like that. But when I see a cross, I still have to think about Christ's sufferings. You know, what did he do for us? I heard, if I'm not mistaken, it was Craig Edwards years and years ago. And he preached in Maryville, Tennessee, Brother Tom Hatley's. And he preached about the cross. This was in March and he preached about the cross in such a way that I've never heard it before. He started talking about the suffering and, and, and what stands out. Brother David, I know you listen to Brother Craig a lot. And so you may this may come back to your memory. But he got to talking about those nails going through his... Everybody say it was through his hands. But he began to talk about it was actually going through his wrists. And it separated that... that um, that bone, you have two bones right there, but it also pierced and began to metal rubbing up on that nerve and how the agony was there. And every time his weight, it was literally pulling his hands apart. And I think about that suffering. And Brother Edwards, he just continued with how gruesome the cross was. And, you know, we can look back at modern movies and we could see 
uh, different depictions of how gory and how gruesome the cross was. But the truth of the matter is, I don't know that anyone alive can really, really relate to how how much suffering Christ endured. And, and Bubba, he endured it for you and I. He endured it for the guy down there that, that smells and doesn't look like he is a Christian. He, he does it for the guy that's behind the pulpit, dressed his best, or someone on the, the back row. Christ did it for all of us. And, and as a mature Christian, we, we begin to appreciate his sufferings. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Now, Peter said here in our text, he said that Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh. Paul said over in Galatians chapter number 2, verse 21, that I am crucified with Christ. Now, we couple those together by what he said there at the very end of one of those verses. Let me turn back there. Chapter number 4, 1 Peter. He says that um, Christ suffered for us in the flesh. And he says, For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. And so we, we link those two together. And Paul says, Not only did Christ suffer, but I am crucified with Christ. He went on in Romans chapter number 6, verse number 8, and he says uh, that I am, I, I am dead with Christ. He says, for uh, if we now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now, there's a lot of folks that they look at Paul's writings where he says that we're dead with Christ. And um, Paul said that I'm crucified with Christ there in Galatians. And they think that that is the end of the story. But for a believer, someone that has put their trust in Christ, that's just the beginning of our life in Christ. It's not that when we die to ourselves or we die in Christ that that's the end and we're just waiting for God to take us home. But rather, that's where it all begins. That's where we are able to truly be able to live. And that's a, a mark of maturity. Peter says, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Now, know that, again, Paul said there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, somewhere around 55 down through the end of the chapter, that Christ won the victory. Remember, he said, "Old grave, where is thy sting? Old death, where is thy victory? And he began to talk about the power of sin or the strength of sin being in the law and all of those things there in 1 Corinthians 15. But Peter encourages us to arm ourselves with the same mind. If you remember a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago, whatever it was, we talked a little bit about remembering. And, and Peter said in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he says, I want to stir you up by way of remembrance. And so throughout this chapter or throughout this book, we see that there is a stirring, if you will, to remember some things. And, and Peter says we need to arm ourselves with the same mind. What is that? That Christ had the victory on the cross. That it wasn't a, a loss. It, even for, for him, it didn't end when he died on the cross. In view of Christ's suffering, we should forsake 
sin. There's a song that um, I used to sing, probably never should have sang it, just because it was kind of a weird song. But anyway, um, there's a song that Ray Boltz wrote, and um, I can't even remember now what it was called. Uh, Feel the Nails was the name of this song. And um, uh, in in the, the, I think the first verse, it kind of laid the story that Christ died for our sins, but... And then he asked the question, every time I sin, am I crucifying him again? And then the chorus is, does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Does he feel the nails when this happens, when this happens? And, and it's, it's a pretty song, but I think, I think we could say that even though it is a question, the question can simply be answered. No, he's not nailed to the cross every time we sin. And isn't that a blessing? Because Christ died once and for all. And so we should rejoice in that. But we, we look at Christ's sufferings and we really should determine in ourselves because of what he suffered for us to not sin. I mean, that's why he suffered. He bore upon himself what? The iniquity of us all. So he died for sin. He paid the penalty. He paid the price, the ransom, whatever it may be, for our sin. And if we continue to sin, which we will fall, we will stumble, but if we continue to sin, we're essentially saying, and I'm talking about in the same sin over and over, we're saying that the cross really is none effect to our lives. And it should be. It should be dictating why we should forsake sin. And then the will of God should be our goal. Look at verse number 2 again. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh of the lust or to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Every Christian, whether they're a new Christian or a mature Christian, we should be living our lives because of what Christ did for us on Calvary. We should be living our lives in search of the will of God, to find the will of God. And when you find that will of God, continue in it until he says, I want you to go this way. There's a lot of Christians that they're, and I have seen it over the years. People have come to me and they said, I really think God wants me to do this. And they may they may begin to to go that direction and then they'll say, well, I really believe God wants me to do this or uh, He wants me to do this. And they're, it's as if they're, they're, they're changing uh, every time the wind blows. And, and I don't believe the will of God works like that. I believe that he, he wants you to do something and when He wants it changed, that other one will be completed. His other will for your life will be completed. Number two... How mature Christians are or are identified by the world. We look at verse number three. We see first of all that our past was not good. Now we're talking about mature Christians being identified by the world, and you will be identified by the world. Look at verse number three. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. And we'll read a couple more verses here in just a minute. 
But we see our past was not good. Even if we were saved on the church pew, even if we were saved, you know, uh, as a, a good boy or a good girl, there's still a past. We know that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We understand that. But the world will look at our past. I'm reminded, I didn't hear him personally say this in this church, but I believe Brother Dean McNeese preached a message and he made this statement, because I've heard some of you say it, that some of the word, if you're saved, let me back up. If you're saved as a young person, the worst sins that you will ever commit are after you're saved. And so, and I believe that's true. And if that is true, then we have to understand that many times the world will identify Christians still as bad people that go to church. Bad people that walk into the doors or you know, I, I, I don't want to be judgmental this morning, but every every Sunday on my way to church, and a lot of times throughout the week in the mornings, the Catholic church on Lee Street, their people are parked in the in the in the street. And I don't know anything about those people. I don't I might know one person that goes there, but I don't know anybody, Miss Irene. I don't know anybody that goes to that church. And and they may be upstanding citizens. I have, I have seen a fire, uh, like a fire pickup truck. I don't know what, what they call them. Like a, you know what I'm talking about, Stanley. A fire department pickup truck. So, you know, I, I figure firemen are upstanding citizens, you know. They're going to the Catholic Church. I've seen some people kind of in a ratty looking vehicles there going to church. We can look out in our own parking lot and we see very nice vehicles then we see some that are not as nice. We look in here and everybody seems to be looking good. Everybody seems to be, y'all don't seem to be happy this morning, but I'm, I'm believing inside you're happy. But the truth of the matter is, this world will identify even mature Christians as bad people. Because they, they cannot forget the bad things that we do. You think about you think about in, in a politician's life. You know, you're, you're in high school and you, you, you say the wrong word to describe somebody. Or you do the wrong thing. You get in college and you, you just mess up and maybe you get arrested or something. And, and it's something trivial. But, but then you get into public office and all of a sudden all that dirt is brought back. Your family has forgiven you. That person that you've wronged has forgiven you. Maybe you've paid your debt to society. Everything is good. It's quite clear. But in the public's eye, it's as if you did it yesterday. And the same is true with a Christian. Because even mature Christians mess up. Even, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but even old believers mess up. People that have been saved for years and years and years, they mess up. And if the world sees that, to them that describes every Christian. To them they say, well, if he can do that, let's just say, for instance, a preacher, and and we have heard of some preachers that have been great men of God, that all of a sudden their family has been wrecked and we find them divorcing their wife and we find them marrying some other woman. And so let's let let's let's say that that's the circumstance. And the world sees it. 
Maybe it's even worse than that. It ends up in the news. They begin to identify all preachers that way. Womanizers. Maybe even child molesters. Whatever it may be. The world will always identify you by your past. Could be lust, drinking, idolatries. Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 3 Paul wrote about fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our mind. This world will identify the Christians by our past. But, but know this, that Christ has changed us. Oh, we're all still sinners. I don't know who wrote it. I'm guessing probably Bill Gaither or someone in his circle. But I'm just a sinner saved by grace. If you could see what I once was. If you could go with me back to where he brought me from, then I know you would see. Every one of us could say that. And every one of us would have this deep, dark corner of our heart that we don't want anybody to see. But I'm so thankful that even in that deep darkness, the recesses of our heart, that when we give our lives to Christ, When we're saved by the grace of God, we see what Paul says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That ought to cheer every one of us this morning to know that in spite of how the world identifies us, we are a new creature. We're not what we used to be. Some can't understand this change. We see there in verse number 4. Verse 3 said how bad we were, what we used to do. But verse 4 says, Wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. So this morning, I want you to know that, that you may be mature. You may be ready to burn the world up, light it on fire and turn it upside down. But the world will often identify you only by your past. But if you are mature, you must realize that you're a new creature. They think it's strange. They speak evil because we choose good. The world, this is, this is one of the saddest things. The world will see our light and prefer darkness. Verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Regardless of how this world sees you as a child of God, you need to be sober. He, my goodness. Let's look over here at verse number 8 of chapter 5. Be sober. Be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And and this is not in in my notes, but I I need us to, to know this. We are a new creature. If we're saved, we're a new creature. But we ought not let that become a an issue of pride. If we're not careful, the fact that we're a child of God will make us, in our own minds, better than everybody else. 
And we've probably all seen people like that or heard of people like that, that they think because they're a preacher or because they're a teacher or because they're a musician or because they do this in the church or that or because they go to church that they're better than somebody else. But I beg to differ. It should make us rejoice that we are a child of God, but at no point should it ever make us feel like we're better than somebody else. Number three, and lastly, believe it or not, somebody said lastly is not the proper way to say that, but they are not here, and I don't care. How mature Christians identify with each other. I want you to know something this morning. I'm not just, I, I'm not just saying this, but I love y'all. And I think that we all ought to love one another. I didn't meet Noah. I'm, I'm not going to embarrass. I don't, don't mean to embarrass you, but I just met Noah last night. But there's something in me that wants to love Noah. Leah, I know we're related, but I love you. Brother Jim, I love you. And the reason being is because I've got the love of God in my heart. I, I'm by nature, God bless my heart. I am oftentimes judgmental. And I see somebody and I mean the the worst things will pop into my mind. Well, she's uglier. Boy, he's goofy looking her. This I mean, just this, that, and the other. And if my wife ain't around, I, that'll come out. And sometimes it still will, and she tries to shove it back in, but but more than that, there there's a lot of times that, that I'll be thinking about that, or I'll say that in my heart. And usually it's not about an outward appearance. Usually it's it's some thought. And I, I bet they're just a horrible person. And the Holy Spirit will speak to my heart. Now, I believe that, that God loves us and He loves us so deeply that that He chooses to forget our past. And He doesn't bring those things up to remind us of how wicked we are. But sometimes, I, and I feel like I'm right in this, sometimes I believe that, that God has to bring up our past to prove a point. That we're not perfect. And that He loved us despite of our, our sin. And there's times that I'll be thinking something about someone or read about someone and immediately I'll form an opinion about them and God begins to deal with my heart. I'll say, you were the same way. And I don't know how y'all are, but I try to tell God he's wrong sometimes. I'm like, God, I ain't never done that. I've never done that sin. And he'll remind me of this other sin. And then that, that old phrase that sin is sin will come back. And I realize that I'm no better than anybody else. How mature Christians identify with each other. Verse number 8 says that we ought to have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, I, I've said this before and I stick by it. That over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. I read that a lot at weddings. And... Uh, 
A lot of times people will, you know, for decoration or whatever, they'll say, love never fails or this, that, or the other, and they'll use 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, I've made it a point in, in recent weddings to say that because the, the Scripture says charity never faileth. And I, I believe that that charity is there for a reason, and, and that reason is because charity is a result of love. If you have if you have love, then you'll have charity. So I, as I was studying, I looked this word up in verse number eight. And above all things, have fervent charity. And I said, well, surely that's a different word than love. Well, it's not. It is the word agape. And this word, it is affection, goodwill, love, or benevolence. You could go on to say that it's even a brotherly love. It's it's a love like a brother would have. There, There's another Greek word, it's phileo, that means brotherly love in particular. But I believe even this, we can say that that this charity here is affection. It is goodwill. It is love or benevolence. So let's look at this again. And I don't mean to take anything away from the Scripture. hope you don't think that. But he says, above all things, have fervent affection or goodwill to what? Among yourselves. You could go to Americas, Georgia, and you could go to any... Most of them are going to be sit-down restaurants, which is not very many. But you can go and you can ask the wait staff who they hate dealing with the most. And most of the time, they'll say, I don't like working on Sundays. Because that's when all the church folks come in. And that's when they're the most demanding. Or they leave the, the least amount of tip, whatever. Well, my goodness, as a Christian, going into a restaurant... First of all, on a Sunday, and I'm guilty above all else, but we ought to do our best to, one, act like we just came from church. Number two, we ought to try to to, to bless them in some way. Some of you are going to know what I'm talking about. I, I've heard a story, never saw it personally, but there was there was a man that he used to put a stack of coins on the corner when he sat down at a table, and if... I think I have this right. If someone passed by and didn't fill up his drink, he'd take one of those coins away. Or if he had to ask for something, he'd take one of those coins away. Well, I'm going to say this. That's just stupid. That's just goofy. I believe we ought to go enjoy our meal, do what we can, don't get up fussing and everything else, enjoy our meal, and then try to give that person that's been working a little bit of charity. Now, that's to an outside source. But I say that because some of the meanest people, even towards one another, are Christians. You let one of us do something wrong and, and we end up in trouble. The majority, the majority of Christians will, in a sense, turn away from that person instead of reaching out, trying to help. But I'm glad there are some people that will reach out and help even during those times where we've fallen. He says you need to have a fervent charity among yourselves. Uh, who was this that wrote this? I forgot. David Reagan. 
He said, charity is the epitome of perfection in the Christian life. He, and he mentioned 1 Corinthians 13, 13. He went on, he said, it is the bond of perfection from Colossians 3, 14. And then in 1 Timothy 1, 15, he says, it is the end of the commandment, charity. Over there in 1 Corinthians 13, charity suffereth long. Remember, the result of love is charity. If you have love and it is the love of God, then it will continue to love. How many's ever, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many has ever loved someone that didn't deserve your love? They hurt you over and over again, but you still love them. And sometimes you can't help it. I'll go one step further. Sometimes you're so angry at yourself for loving them. But you can't make yourself stop. You know what that is? That's a love that only comes from God. It's the love that we have toward men. And as a believer, we should be identified by our love towards one another as well as towards the, the world. The writer here in First Peter he says this charity should be fervent. Very quickly, what does this charity do? It covers a multitude of sins. Look at verse number 9. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. I believe in essence we're saying make hospitality natural. Make hospitality natural. I'll tell you here in just a little bit about a prayer request from Brother Jonathan Williams. And um, he told me his need this morning, and or his situation, not necessarily need. But I said, if we can do anything to help, let us know. We being my family and we being this church, let us know. Why? Because charity ought to be natural. Brother Deke, we wouldn't say... Well, if you need any help, let me know and I'll get Brother Deke to help you. Or I'll get the church down the road to help you. No, it should come from us. It's, it should be natural. Enabled, it, it enables us to give, to help, to witness, and forgive all without grudging. We ought to minister to one another. I, I wish I'd wrote it down. It's in uh, maybe Second Corinthians somewhere. Um, I remember hearing um, Milford Biddle. Remember hearing Milford Biddle preach um, a message about being addicted to the ministry of the saints. And I, I don't remember where it's at, but Paul was writing and he, he named a group of people and he says, for they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. You and I, if we ought to be addicted to anything, it ought to be addicted to the ministry of the saints. We ought to minister to each other. And we can do that because God's grace enables us. Remember that grace. We didn't deserve it, but God gave it. And there's going to be people that you encounter that don't deserve it. But because God gave it to you, you give it to them. And then when we minister to each other, God's glorified as we demonstrate charity, as we demonstrate the love that God has in us. Let's pray.
Dear Father, we thank you for this day. We love you. God, we pray, Lord, that you let this lesson be a, a, a blessing to someone. We pray that you'd encourage us and challenge us, challenge us in it. We ask you that you'd bless us in our meeting today. God, allow us, Lord, just to be able to worship you. Father, we pray that you'd just move in our presence. God, again, we, we, we remind ourselves, but we, we call out to you that this is your house. And God, without you here, we're just an intruder. So God, we pray today that you'd allow us, Lord, to sit in your presence. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.